Well, let me begin by reading our, again, slightly unlikely sermon text this morning for a Christmas series from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, last Sunday, we answered the question, what do Christians celebrate at Christmas? We did answer that question, right? There's no, there's no vagueness now. We understand that as Christians were to celebrate at Christmas, that God came down. God came down. God came down and spoke to us. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ, the Word, to speak glory and majesty and power to us. The Apostle John tells us that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was before creation. And Jesus, the Word, became flesh, so that we need not only hear Him, but see Him. God's Word, Jesus. He is light that we may see. That's what John tells us. At Christmas, therefore, Jesus came down to be heard and seen. Just as the shepherds heard and saw him in Luke chapter 2. And the shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen when they sought after and found Jesus the babe in Bethlehem. And for what purpose did Jesus come down? He came down to make purification for our sins. He came to save his people from their sins. See, Jesus is not new at Christmas. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, our triune God. What's new at Christmas is that Jesus came down to be the God-man, 100% God, 100% man at the same time. He came down to be and to display the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the nature of God, and the universe-upholding power of God. Jesus became a man in order to die for man's sins. He became the true shepherd of the sheep to lay down his life for the sheep. His name is Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. And he does all of this on his way to becoming God's king forever. At his first advent, he inaugurated his kingdom That's why we sing, born a child and yet a king. That's interesting. See, kings are born children and then they're made kings, but Jesus was born a king, appointed by God. And now, as king, he's populating his kingdom by purifying sinners, making them kingdom citizens, so that we will be ready, able, and willing to receive our king at his second advent. This purification is what I want us to think about this morning. The ongoing purification of his people as we look for our coming eternal king. The ongoing purification that happens Christmas after Christmas after Christmas that is working in us who believe in him as we wait. 
This seems to me almost as important as why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. What could be more relevant than to understand how our king is purifying us this Christmas? Not 2,000 years ago, but now. If you want to follow along with your sermon outline, I just want to make four brief points this morning. Jesus indeed came down. Jesus is with us. Jesus makes us family. And Jesus is God's joyful purifier. If you would turn with me to John chapter 6. I want to read just a little bit of this. Let me begin in verse 35. Jesus said to them, he was speaking to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What an invitation. What an invitation. Jesus has just likened himself to manna. Remember, the manna that fell from heaven to feed Israel in the wilderness after the exodus. There was nothing to eat in the wilderness, so God made bread fall from heaven, and the people ate and were satisfied. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and be satisfied. You'll never be thirsty. You'll never be hungry. And his invitation stands this very Christmas morning. If you will come to Jesus, he will never cast you out. Merry Christmas. He will never cast you out if you would come to him. Now this is what I want us to see. In the middle of Jesus dealing with his unbelieving crowd, he confirms what was foretold of him at Christmas. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. God the Father has already given souls to Jesus, his Son. And what must Jesus do to not lose any of them? He must purify them. In order for Jesus to return to heaven and sit down at the right hand of his Father, the majesty on high, he must make purification for our sins. Jesus, the Word of God, came down to make good on his Father's promise of salvation. Jesus will do his Father's will. He will save his people from their sins. And he will not lose a single soul that the Father has given them. That is our assurance. Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is what God has spoken to us in his word come down. This is the good news of great joy for all to hear this Christmas. That everyone who looks on Jesus, who is the glory and deity and power of the Father, and believes in him, will not be turned away. 
but will have eternal life. That's the word. That is to say that they will be purified of their sins by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the once for all sacrifice for sin. And they will become loyal subjects of God's eternal king, safe and secure in God's kingdom. Jesus prays to his father later in John chapter 17. He prays saying, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. He defines it for us. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus came down so that you would hear him and so that you would see him and believe in him and in his Father who sent him. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The invitation to, with certainty, be with God. That's what we find in Jesus' birth narrative in Matthew chapter 1. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 and find verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, or as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Mary's pregnancy was a a bit of a scandal at the time. First, a scandal to Joseph. Then to those who knew him. People knew something was amiss here. The timeline of marriage and child seemed to be just a bit off. Rumors were flying about who his father might really be. Doubt of Jesus' own purity continues to this day in Judaism. But Scripture attests to the purity of Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, by the Holy Spirit, the only begotten, now incarnate Son of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 5, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, who was himself pure, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that in him we might become purified. Jesus, the God-man, is the pure and sinless Son of God who alone is able to save his people from their sin. John the Apostle tells us that Jesus dwelt among us all his life on earth as the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth, God himself. John the Baptist tells us that he, is, he, John, was not even worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandals. And as the servant of God, he heralded Jesus, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was himself pure and sinless. 
That's how he could be the one who purifies others from their sin. And when the offenses of our sin and rebellion against God is removed, this is what happens. Pick up at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until he had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph knew Mary not until after Jesus was born, speaking to his purity and his true fatherhood. By the will of God, spoken by the angel, he was named Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Jesus, Jesus, Joshua, Yahweh saves. That's his name. And by the will of God, spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he shall also be called Emmanuel. God with us. Does anything sound sweeter to you? God with us. Not God at a distance. Not God who wants nothing to do with us. God with us. All of this took place to fulfill God's purpose to be with his people, his holy people. More than that, to make us his holy family. Turn to John chapter 1. We were there a little bit last Sunday. We'll see it a little bit more here. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. In him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <laughs> there is so much here uh, that could be said here, and perhaps one day soon uh, we'll go through the Gospel of John together. But I love that metaphor of light. Jesus says, He's light. You see, life is in Jesus. So life in Jesus is a light to all mankind when Jesus appeared. And a light in those who believe in Jesus. And darkness cannot overcome Jesus, the light of life. Can't. But of course, not all, in fact, hardly any, received him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, this is an amazing adoption process. The right to become children of God. We are not children of God by nature of our creation. Not by the blood of man, nor by the will of man. We are adopted as sons of God by the will of God through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. 
I'll say it again. We're adopted as sons of God by the will of God through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus is the Father's word of creation and the Father's heir of all things. We talked about that last week. So Jesus, our Emmanuel, who is God with us, has bought for us the right to become children of God, which means that the Son has made us sons of God. The adoption stamp is official. And the heir has made us co-heirs with himself. How, How gracious and selfless is that? Because of him, we, are call, we call God Father by right. Because of him, we pray, our Father who art in heaven. Because God wants to be our Father. And has willed to be, willed for us to be his children by faith in Jesus, in whom is life and sonship. Praise God. Ladies, don't let it bother you that the Bible says, sons. It's communicating to you that you don't have Roman world status as a woman. It is to say to you that you have all the rights and privileges and heirs of a son. It's an up for you. Is it possible to imagine a more selfless Savior? A purer light? Is it possible to imagine a more closely present Emmanuel? A more glorious son? Is there anything better to celebrate at Christmas than that Jesus came down? Pick up in verse 14. John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I'm wondering if you can, you can pick up this ongoing sense, not, not just one spot, but a moving forward of God's grace here. As children of God, we don't receive grace just one day a year or just on our adoption day. As children from Christ's fullness, we receive grace upon grace upon grace ongoing in our lives. In John 6, twice Jesus said that those who were saved by grace, he would raise up on the last day. So there's there's something moving forward here. You see the time element here. As children of God, we need a Christmas promise that we will have the grace of God all the time. We need the grace of God for our ongoing sanctification. That's the purification I want us to think about this morning. The ongoing purification of God's children as we look to the coming of our eternal king. The ongoing purification Christmas after Christmas after Christmas that is working in us as we run the race of faith marked out for us. 
And there's no surprise that we find the source of our ongoing purification in Jesus who came down. Which takes us back to Hebrews chapter 12, which I read earlier. Therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, What wonderful words. See, Jesus is the foundation of our purification from sin and the finisher of our purification from sin. Start to finish, we need purification and we need this purifier. From conception by the Holy Spirit to death on the cross, Jesus lived a pure life free from sin, the life we long to live as God's children. Have you you thought about that? Oh, what would my life be like? What would I be like if I was sinless? If I was purely purified? All these thoughts, these motives, these desires, these words that come out of my mouth, these actions by my feet and hands. What if they were all pure? What if I really could be like Jesus? Don't you want to live like that? We're working towards it. We're working towards it. Jesus is the foundation of all of that, the life we long to live. So it only makes sense that we should look to him. And his pure life, as we live out the purification, he has made for us. It's kind of like that faith concept, right? We we have faith, but we need that faith strengthened. we, it's like that hope concept. We, we have hope. It's not that we're hoping we might get to go to heaven. It's that we have hope, but we need that hope strengthened to go on every single day so that we're living by faith, not by sight. We're living in the hope of the things of God, not the hope of the things of the world. And it's that kind of same thing with our, with our purification from sin, that we must look to Jesus for our ongoing purification. And when we look to Jesus, we see him, don't we? Laying aside every weight and every distraction, even good things, in order to live a life of pure righteousness before his heavenly Father. That's what we see Jesus doing. He never becomes entrapped in sin. See, purity, brothers and sisters, is not just some value add to the Christian life in whatever percentage works for you easily, it's the goal. We usually talk about it in terms of our progressive sanctification. That's how we think about it. It's always relevant to us. Every single day you're thinking about that. Because it is our constant pursuit to be more like Jesus until we are. When we, by the grace of God, by the word of God's power, and by the presence of the Holy Spirit, actually lay aside every weight that hinders our faith, we are exercising the purification that Christ has made for us. I'd like you to think about it that way. This is a call to exercise the purification that has been made for us. To move towards actualizing that. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus is the purifier who will present us, brothers and sisters, before God, how? Pure and blameless, without spot or wrinkle before his Father because he came down to do his Father's will. 
And he won't lose any of us who believe in him. Not a one. Where is it then that Jesus made purification for our sin? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember that from last week. And Hebrews 12 2 says to us this morning, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus made purification for our sins on the cross. Jesus made purification for sin not by the virtue of his birth, but by his substitutionary death on the cross in our place. The cross was not a joyful thing. Don't misread those words. (laughs) The cross is not a joyful thing. The cross is a shameful thing. Because the pure and innocent one bore the shame for our sin on the cross. He endured humiliation the mocking and the spitting and the beating and the scourging, and he endured crucifixion in order to make purification for our sins. That's where he did it. When we faithfully then and obediently lay aside every weight that we have, when we lay aside every sin which so tightly clings to us, we are crucifying them at the cross of Christ. Some sins, admittedly, we can easily lay aside. Those are the easy ones. But other sins, we still love. Don't you? They're the sins we love and we don't want to give up. Because they're lodged in our heart, James says. And when you rip a sinful desire out of your heart, it leaves a wound. It rips a little flesh with it. And it's painful to put to death sin. It's crosswork to put to death sin. But that is how we exercise the purification of sin that Jesus has made for us. It's painful, bloody work. Look to Christ on the cross as he purifies us from sin and endure the same because of him. And do so knowing this. As Jesus hang, torn and beaten on the cross, the crowds mocked him, telling him to come down. You see, Jesus who came down, there was one day when he would not come down. The mockers shouted, you said you would rebuild the temple in three days. Come down from the cross and do it. But it was those three days in which he was building God's new covenant temple. Us. So he would not come down. You saved others with your miracles. If you are the king of Israel, prove it and come down from the cross. Indeed, he had saved others by the signs of his power. But he would not be the sin-conquering king if he shamefully aborted his mission. So he would not come down. If you are the Christ, show your power by saving yourself. 
and come down from the cross. But he did not come down to save himself. Because he came to save his people from their sin. So he would not come down. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe you. But he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him, which is to save sinners and not lose a single one. So he would not come down. Jesus endured the wrath of God upon our sin upon himself on the cross. He came down from heaven in order to not come down from the cross. But having become the once for all sacrifice for sins, he was taken down and buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's because Jesus did not come down from the cross that we believe in him and have purification for our sins. What what was the joy set before Jesus for which he endured the cross that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? We'd like to think that it was us, wouldn't we? A redeemed humanity purified souls, kingdom subjects, and in part it certainly is. We are the happy benefactors of his saving work on the cross. But even more, Jesus' joy was to do the Father's will. Don't ever forget that. Jesus' joy was to do the work of the one who sent him. That's why he was God's joyful purifier. Which means that true joy is not found in our independence or our individualism. True joy is found in obedience to God. Nothing could be more relevant to us this Christmas. Nothing could be more helpful to us as God's children. Nothing could could be more right to celebrate than that God came down in the person of the Son to be God with us, to make us God's family by being God's joyful purifier. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that his atonement for our sins, we who believe by faith, is complete. 
thank you that our purification has been made. Now, Lord, we pray that you would be with us in your spirit. That we might live increasingly pure lives as we look to the sun. As we treat sin the way he treated it. Killing it on the cross. That we might be your holy children. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.